Great. We're going to be looking at understanding heart change this morning. And I have for us a very small passage from the book of 2 Thessalonians. And I'm just going to focus on one verse. And it's such a deep and a profound verse. Allow me to read the passage for us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, but not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And I have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Verse 5 is what we're going to be looking at closely this morning. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The direction of our heart today is going to shape the kind of person you and I are going to be five years from now or or 10 years from now. And so it's an extremely important question to ask ourselves. What is the direction of my heart? What is my heart moving towards? Let's, Let's not be naive to this. The world is relentlessly working to make sure that our hearts are moving away from Christ. Your workplaces and mine, the culture of the city that we live in is relentlessly doing that. Let us also not forget that the, the, the enemy, the devil, he, he is real. Sadly, he is alive and kicking. He is also very intentionally trying to get us to move away from Christ. And last, if we are honest with ourselves, we've got to recognize that our own natural sinful inclinations are also tugging us slowly away from Christ. And which is why this simple one-sentence prayer that Paul prays for the church at Thessalonica in verse 5 is so important for every one of our hearts this morning. It's important because we are all distracted. It is important because every single one of our hearts are being misdirected constantly. Our hearts are the battlefield of our faith. And this battle is very real, it's very present, and it is ongoing. And so when Paul prays, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ, it resonates in every one of our souls. And so this morning from this passage, I'd like to draw three things. The nature of our hearts, the direction of our hearts, and the healing for our hearts. The nature of our hearts the direction of our hearts, and the healing for our hearts. Let's start with the first one, the nature of our hearts. 
the best picture that that uh, to me has ever captured the human heart is is an iceberg there's just so little of the iceberg that's visible above the surface and there's so much hidden beneath the surface and even ourselves we are only aware of just that little bit outside above the surface that's all we are aware of our own hearts maybe a little bit beneath the surface but there are the depths of our hearts that even we ourselves are not aware of and so i'd like to draw three things about the human heart that the bible tells us first the bible tells us that the heart is bigger than we think second the heart is deeper than we think and third the heart is stronger than we think those are the three things you're going to be looking about the nature of the heart let's look at the first thing the the heart is bigger than we think most of us assume the heart is all about feelings and emotions and in assuming that the heart is only about feelings and emotions we have a view of the heart that is smaller than what the bible says but the bible portrays the human heart as something not just as not just as the seat of our feelings the bible talks about the heart in so many more ways for example the bible says the heart thinks look at this verse genesis chapter 6 verse 5 the lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart the bible calls us to see that the heart thinks let me unpack this sometimes we think with our minds sometimes we think with our hearts imagine a couple that is planning a honeymoon their first honeymoon together uh, obviously there's only one honeymoon for a couple so i'm sorry uh imagine a couple that's planning their honeymoon together and uh, they pick a venue and 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 both of them together are are making all their traveling plans they're deciding uh, where to go to which resort to stay and what to do i want you to think about it for a moment and tell me are they thinking with their minds in planning their honeymoon or are they thinking with their hearts in planning their honeymoon obviously it's their hearts now imagine the same scenario where the couple ask the travel agent to do the bookings for them the same venue the same resort the same destination everything is the same how was the travel agent doing the bookings is he doing it with his heart or is he doing it with his mind obviously he is doing it with his mind right so the heart is more than just feelings and emotions the heart is also thinking the bible calls us to see the bible also calls us to see that the heart plans the human to humans belong the plans of the heart we tend to think planning is a function of the mind no but there's so much of the heart that gets involved in in in, in the planning as well i can give you so many more verses but i think these are enough to make the point according to the bible the heart is bigger than just our feelings when the bible says the heart when when paul prays in in thessalonians in, in the book to second book to thessalonians may the lord direct your hearts he is talking of a lot more than just feelings and emotions he's talking the bible talks about the heart as something that includes our feelings our emotions our will our reason our planning our affection all of it a heart is at the very center of our being it what it's it's us the second thing the bible calls us to think about is the heart is deeper than we think and that's why the picture of the iceberg is so helpful to understand the human heart 
Of course, on the surface, there's things like behavior, feelings, reason, emotion, things we know, things we are able to understand. But beneath that is, is motivation, affections, desires, and the object of our worship or idolatry. Just to illustrate this, imagine how many times has someone said something to you and you've really snapped. You've really uh, gotten angry, flown into a fit of rage, or it just hurt you. And, and you yourself are surprised at the anger, anger you experienced or at the hurt you experienced. If you've had that experience, then you, you've got to know that the heart is deeper than you think because there's something deeper inside your heart which you are not fully aware of. And that statement from someone kind of just connected with that and triggered it. A deep fear, a deep hurt that that person said, which, which kind of evoked that anger or, or hurt. A heart is deeper than we think. The third thing, and this is my favorite of the three, the heart is stronger than we think. The heart is stronger than we think. Uh, think of a Ferrari, um, uh, a V12 engine, six and a half liter engine. I mean, that's, that's a real powerful engine. I mean, if you're into cars, you sit in that car, Ferrari, you, you press your foot on the pedal and you can feel the power of that car. Now imagine riding this Ferrari V12 650 6,050 6, 6, liter engine. Yeah, 6.5 liter engine on Muhammad Ali Road. Right? It's not. Now imagine you ride this Ferrari on Muhammad Ali Road for 100 years. At the end of these 100 years, the engine is still going to be as powerful. The engine of the Ferrari is never going to be able to adapt and adjust itself to driving on low torques or whatever it is on Muhammad Ali Road. The engine of the Ferrari is incapable of functioning at a lower capacity. And it is the same with the human heart, which was created with the capacity to love God and to receive love from God. And so just because you've taken this heart beautifully created before the sin and you've put it in a sinful, broken world, doesn't mean the capacity of this heart to love and to receive love has diminished, just like a Ferrari engine will never change. So if you understand that your heart is stronger than you think, you can understand the fierce ambition that every one of us feel. You can understand the passionate love that each of us feel. You can understand the bitter hate that we can all feel in our hearts. Our hearts are stronger than we think. Our desperation, our desperate longing for money, for romance, for sex, for power, all of that is a reflection of how powerful, how strong our hearts are because our hearts were originally created to love our God and to receive love from our God. Or even look at sports. IPL is around the corner and any sport, oh, sorry, the cricket World Cups around the corner, any sport. Why? I mean, women can relate to this, I'm sure. Why are so many thousands of men and women as well crazy and so into that sport? It's a good thing, but why are we so into that sport? I think that's a sign of how strong our hearts are. 
And so we underestimate the heart's capacity to love and, and worship. Another way to look at the, imagine the human heart is, is a tornado. We may not have a tornado in, in, in Indian uh, weather conditions, but I guess we've all seen movies. And the thing with a tornado, if you've seen it, a tornado just cannot sit in one place. It's going to be, you know, moving here and there and here and there. It's, it's going to be, it, you don't know which direction it's going to go to. You cannot predict. There's no scientific model to predict which side it's going to go to, right? Not only does it keep moving, it keeps sucking everything on its way. And after a, fi- after a while, it keeps spitting them out. That's the human heart. You don't know which way it's going to move. And it's going to keep sucking things for a while, lose interest or be bored with it or not find satisfaction in it. And it's going to throw it away. But now imagine if this tornado had something powerful to anchor it. Imagine if there was something powerful that could take on the full force of the tornado and just hold it in one place. This was how the relationship between God and the human heart was designed before the fall. All that power, all that capacity of the human heart to love and receive love is nothing compared to the love that our creator could give us. And in the absence of that anchor, Christ, the anchor of our souls, as the Bible says, our hearts are going to behave like that tornado, going here and there, sucking things up now, spitting things out tomorrow. That's the nature of the human heart. So when Paul prays, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ, we've got to see this verse in the understanding of your heart and mine. And this verse is true because only the Lord can direct the human heart. That's the first thing we want to draw from this passage, the nature of the human heart. The second thing I want to look at this morning is the direction of the human heart. Verse five, the verse, the verse we're really looking at this morning. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of, of Christ. As we've been saying, our heart still retains the capacity to love, but our hearts are all misdirected. We don't know the right direction. We cannot set our hearts on the course of the right direction towards Christ. And we are so distracted. I want to share with us, I think, which I'm sure uh, all of us are familiar with. It's called the Maslow's Hierarchy of Human Needs. Abraham Maslow was a, was a psychologist and he, he, he had this pyramid of, of growing human needs at the base uh, where our physiological needs, according to Abraham Maslow, uh, the next slide, and, and the, above the physiological needs, physiological needs is basically food, thirst, sleep. Those are needs human beings cannot live without. And above that is safety and things like job security, uh, making sure we've got investments to take care of our future, a home to live in. All of those are being met. The safety needs are, you know, this is the example. Third is love and belonging, romance, marriage, children, family. Uh, Then above that is esteem, career accomplishments, fame, reputation, social standing. And finally, there's self-actualization, you know, which kind of in modern day language, new age, inner peace, 
follow your heart, be who you are destined to be, be who you want to be and, and, and all that nonsense. <laughs> right? Now, here's a problem. The fundamental problem is that the heart is misdirected. Remember, the heart has the capacity to latch onto all these, but the heart is misdirected. So what's happening is rather than have all of these real and genuine needs being met in Christ, our hearts which have been misdirected are kind of like that tornado latching on to each of these things and after a, fight, after a while growing dissatisfied with it and spitting it out. So when our hearts find the need for safety, met in job security, investment, home, whatever, that becomes idolatry. Not that these things are not supposed to give us job security, but these are just means through which God provides us God security, job security. And so as every one of these needs, genuine needs, we find, we seek ways to meet apart from God, that becomes idolatry and that's going to leave us dissatisfied. But when we have these needs met in Christ, that becomes worship. I guess I've been seeing this again and again the last few weeks, but it just refuses to go out of my mind and my heart. So you'll have to hear it from me again. Uh, someone said this, love small things small, love medium things medium, love big things big, but love Christ above them all. Here's the problem. We take small things, golf, squash, in my case, I guess, uh, video games, uh, a sport, a hobby, we take the small thing. It should be enjoyed small. But we take that and because the hearts have this incredible capacity to love, we make that the ultimate and, and love that. Or medium things, you know, careers, good, savings are good, SIPs are good, markets are going up despite everything we know. So it's, it's, good, it's good to find joy in these medium things. Good to find medium joy in these medium things. But when we take that and we look at these as our savior, we messed it up. I love big things big. Family, marriage, all of that. When we take this and make that the ultimate, again, we have a problem. And so the fundamental problem of the human heart is one of disordered loves. Disordered loves. And so when Paul prays, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Oh, it makes so much sense. To me and to you. The third and the last thing that we want to look at from this is the healing for our hearts. The healing for our hearts. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. There are two ways in which we drift away from God. The first way we drift away from God is that we get so caught up with the loves of the world that we don't feel anything for Christ Jesus. We can live through weeks and I'm not accusing you. I'm just repenting for myself. I can live through weeks without feeling anything for Jesus. And that's the first way we, we may or may not come to church. Our private worship is probably zero. There's hardly any reading of God's word. There's hardly any, any, any prayer. Uh, we don't take any initiative to get back to Jesus. And sometimes we, we, we are believers only because of past conditioning. 
There's nothing in our present life to show that we are believers. It's because of past conditioning, we continue to function as, as believers. That's one way to drift away from God. How do we overcome this? I'll answer that question in just a little bit. The second way we drift away from God is this. Here, we are actually drifting away from God, but we want to come back. We recognize this. We know it's wrong and we want to come back. And we are really trying hard to come back, but we are trying to come back to God with our own strength. And this approach looks something like this, where we are trying to psych ourselves. We are kind of trying to steal ourselves. We are trying to strengthen our will so much that from tomorrow onwards, I'm going to read my Bible for one and a half hours every day. You know, self-effort. And if, if that's your go-to, then after a week of self-effort or maybe two, there are only two possible outcomes. Only two possible outcomes. First, we're going to feel tired and crushed because we, we would have failed miserably in every single resolve. Or for the few of us who have incredibly strong willpower, I don't, my respect to you, you're going to end up coming out feeling proud and self-righteous. Because you'd have, you've cracked it. You, you've, you'd have read the Bible for 90 minutes every day for two weeks. But Christ would have been nowhere there. Or you'd have tried to give Christ something so that he can gain as opposed to receiving from Christ so that we can gain. Only two possible outcomes. So either way, whether it's through indifference or whether it's through self, you know, self-striving, striving in our own strength, we have both drifted away from God in just two different ways. But the surprising thing is that both of these totally opposite sin patterns have the same solution. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. To those of us who are indifferent, our only hope Our only hope, I have to emphasize this, our only hope is that the Lord would redirect our hearts to the love of God. We have no hope of coming back to Christ by ourselves. So if you are in this place of indifference, or you know someone you love who is in this place of indifference, humble yourselves before God and cry out to him. Make yourself a beggar in his presence. Come broken, come humble, come undone and cry out to him. This is exactly what Paul is doing here in this verse. He's praying, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. To those who are coming back to God in our own strength, we we like doing that. To those of us who like doing that, you're probably telling yourselves, I want to fix this. I'm going to fix this. And that approach was most likely going to fail. Rather than come to God saying, I'm going to fix this. I want to fix this. A better approach is to go to God and say, I cannot fix this. Lord, I've tried fixing this a hundred times over. Every time after a week, two weeks, I've slipped again. So please, Lord, help me because I cannot fix this by myself. This is more likely to succeed. The more weakly we come into the presence of Christ, the more of his power we will experience. This is the most 
fundamental premise of the gospel. The most fundamental premise of the gospel is we are sinners and we cannot fix ourselves. Only God can save us. And so to this group of people as well, the only solution is Paul's prayer. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I want to close with two quick thoughts on this verse. This verse is actually telling us two things, two very different things. It's telling us, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. That's the first thing. And it's also telling us, may the Lord direct your hearts to the steadfastness of Christ, to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. We're going to look at both in a couple of minutes and then we'll close. First one. This verse is praying and crying out to God. God, direct my heart to your love. And I hope we can see the sad irony of this prayer. Sad but true irony of this prayer. This is God. This prayer is telling us that God has to direct the hearts of those he has redeemed to himself. This verse is telling us that God has to direct the hearts of those he has redeemed by the sacrifice of his son, Christ Jesus, to his love. It tells us that even though we have been redeemed, we still need God to direct our hearts to him. It just shows how unfaithful your heart is and mine. You know, most of us are familiar with Savera, uh, the organization we partner with in their work among sex workers. And I've heard Aji recount this so many times. And I've heard, uh, this, this is real. Most of us have heard of this. So often, when these women are rescued from the sex trade, some of them in their, still in their teens, when they're rescued from the sex trade and they're bought back, the process of healing and recovery is so painful to them that so often, uh, and you know, Ajis shared this so many times with me, so often they say, I wish I was back there. That was better than this life I now have, having been freed. I wish I was back there. Let me go. I want to go back there. Life is so much better back there. And, and imagine the, the, Sadness and the frustration that the team that's working to, to rescue and rehabilitate, rehabilitate these women would feel. Having worked on them, labored with them, nurtured them, walked with them for you know, maybe 12 months or 13 months. And then at the end of it, they say, I'd rather go back there. That's, that's how the heart of God feels when those he has redeemed. This verse is not talking about people who do not believe in Christ. This work is not, verse is not talking about explorers. It's talking about people who believe in Christ. This prayer is for the church at Thessalonica, as it is for New City Church here in Mumbai. The Lord has to direct the hearts of his redeemed because we are so unfaithful. Second, may the Lord direct your hearts to the steadfastness of Christ. Completely different thing. And I want to break down the steadfastness of Christ into two aspects. The past steadfastness of Christ and the present steadfastness of Christ. The past steadfastness of Christ is demonstrated for us when we see him walking the earth. 
he came to do his father's will. Resolutely, he set his face to Jerusalem and moved into Jerusalem knowing he will be persecuted. At the garden, knowing he's going to be arrested soon, he prays to his father, Father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And unto the last, till he breathes this last, crying out, it is finished, Jesus was steadfast to the plan of the father in laying his life down for your salvation and mine. May the Lord direct your hearts to the steadfastness of Christ, the past steadfastness of Christ. And then there is the present steadfastness of Christ to consider. The present steadfastness of Christ is the book of Hebrews tells us, Jesus lives forever to make intercession on our behalf. He is right now seated at the very right hand of the Father, living forever to make intercession for us. The present steadfastness of Christ is also seen in the way Jesus is committed, absolutely committed to purifying his bride, the church, which is you and I together. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 27, a very familiar passage. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The present steadfastness of Christ to sanctify his bride is real. Christ will have his bride and he will have his bride in splendor without any spot without any blemish or sin. This morning, our only hope, our only hope to live lives worthy of the gospel, our only hope to live lives that are faithful to Christ is that the Lord would direct our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ Jesus. Let us pray. pray. Father, we stand here humbled, broken, needy, repentant, Lord. And I, I, I feel the weight of this. I feel how my only hope is that the Lord would direct my heart. And so, Lord, we pray, even as we move back into a time of worship and move into communion, would you direct Every one of our hearts, Lord. We pray for those who are in the in-person gathering here at WeWork, Lord. We pray for those of us who are on Zoom. We pray for those of us who are not, who have not been able to join us today. Wherever city they may be, whichever city they may be, whichever location they may be, Lord. We pray for all of us. Lord, we pray as Paul prayed, may the Lord redirect our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. In Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen.